and uh, today we're talking about the mission of the church. Like, like we need to be settled on what the mission of the church is so that we can live that out. We, we need to agree on what the, what's the point of the church. What's the mission? What are we trying to accomplish? So that's, what the, that's what's written there, is, is from our denomination. It's a denominational document, but it, so that's why it's got so many words in it. But it really is the point. The church of Jesus Christ, that is the whole church, exists in and for the world. The local church, Wesley Chapel, is a strategic base from which Christians move out to the structures of society, providing the most significant, Wesley Chapel provides the most significant arena through which disciple-making occurs. Wesley Chapel is a community of true believers under the Lordship of Christ. Wesley Chapel is the redemptive fellowship in which the Word of God is preached by people divinely called and the sacraments are duly administered, which we're going to share one today, Holy Communion, under the discipline of the Holy Spirit. The church exists for the maintenance of worship, the edification of believers, and the redemption of the world. The redemption of the world. I, I share with you, I was uncomfortable with that idea that the, the church was the hope of the world. Isn't it supposed to be Jesus? But we're uniquely called and gifted by God's Spirit, to be the hope of the world. It goes on. The function of Wesley Chapel, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, is to help people accept and confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and to live their, li their daily lives in the light of their relationship with God. Therefore, the Wesley Chapel is to minister to people in the community where the church is located, to provide appropriate training and nurture to all people to cooperate in ministry with other local churches, to defend God's creation and live as an ecologically responsible community and to participate in the worldwide mission of the church as minimal expectations of an authentic church. That's the basics. That's where you start with those things. Each local church shall have a definite evangelistic nurture and witness responsibility. Each local church has that responsibility for its members, its surrounding area, and a missional outreach responsibility to the local and global community. So we don't, just, we don't just exist for Rock Hall, but for the world. It shall be responsible, the local church shall be responsible for ministering to all its members wherever they live, and for people who choose it as their church. Such a society of believers being within the denomination and subject to its discipline, is also an inherent part of the church universal. We're part of the whole church across time, which is comprised of all who accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So we're connected to people on the other side of the world who we've never met who love Jesus. We have more in common with people on the other side of the world who love Jesus than we do our neighbor who doesn't because we share our purpose with how do we do that? That's what we're, we're supposed to do. How do we do it? That's what we talked about a couple of weeks ago. The Holy Spirit. All that seems like, I don't even know if I understand it, much less how, I could, how I'd start doing it. The Holy Spirit inspires us, His church, to live these things, to accomplish these things. You can't do it. We can't do it. But, but, but we believe that the Holy Spirit can inspire us, can equip us, can, can build within us the, the, what we need to accomplish these things. You may say, oh, that's, a, that's a lot of responsibility for a church. Absolutely, yes it is. 
Yes, it is. So what are we to do? We're supposed to seek to do it. Because obedience is the way we show that we love God. And in Acts chapter 1, we're going to start studying Acts here in a, in a little while. But uh, in Acts chapter 1, Jesus calls out his church to go into all the world. And make disciples, right? To go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the outer parts of the world. And tell people the good news. That's been the call of the church. It's 2,000 years ago. That's been the call of the church. First time, it wasn't just once Jesus did it. He didn't just do it in Acts. He did it three times he sent out his followers. He did The first time he did it with just the 12. Michelle and I watched The, the Chosen last night, and, and uh, the episode we were watching was when Jesus sent out the 12, right? But, but not only did he send out the 12, but later on he sent out 72 disciples and said, go, go into the land. That's the one we're going to look at today. Starts in Luke chapter 10. Verse 1, it reads this way. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them out two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. <laughs> what? I don't know about that. Don't take a purse or bag or sandals. Don't, and don't greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house first, say peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Don't move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what's offered to you there. Heal the sick and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God is near. So they go out. And he gives them some more instructions. But then they go out. They do it. And they come back in verse 17. The 72 returned with joy. It said, Lord, even the demons submitted to us in your name. And Jesus replied, yeah, I know. I saw Satan fall like the lightning from heaven. I, I know. I know, he says. He says, what, see, what, you, what you're doing here, you went out as a representative of me, and, and I sent you out with my power, with my abilities, and I sent you. I know what happened. I, know, I knew it was going to happen. It's an old mission. It's nothing new. It's nothing new. This mission that the church has had has been 2,000 years. It's 2,000 years old. And it will continue because that is the purpose that Jesus has for the lives of his disciples. Jesus wants to reach the world. And he uses disciples to do that. To to go where he was going to be going. That's the thing. They were to go out as, as his representatives, yes, but as his advance team, right? I, I remember back when I, I graduated college, we had the president come and speak to our graduation. And, and I remember I, had, I worked on campus at the time, and, and I remember when uh, George Bush is who it was, when he was coming, they, they went through all the offices in the building that I worked in, like to make sure the windows were sealed. They put little seals on the windows. They put tape over them and stuff 
to make sure that they, they weren't going to be open because he was going to be speaking outside. It was one of the few times that he had spoken outside in a place like that at that time. But the, the advance team came and, and took care of stuff. It set the, set the stage for the president to show up. That's what Jesus is doing with these disciples. He's setting the stage for him to show up. So he's sending them to the very towns that he's about to go visit. They're, they're, they're preparing the people to hear, to experience Jesus in truth. And that's exactly what we do as the church here. We are his advance team here in Rock Hall. In whatever community you live in around here, whatever neighborhood you live in, you are part of the advance team. That's a responsibility, right? That's a lot. That I am to represent Jesus? I'm to show people him before he shows up? Yes. Yes. Because our community needs him. So how can we best represent him? This is four things I'm going to give you. Four things that, that all of us can do, but it comes down to a matter of, if we will, be comfortable enough to just do it. Just to do it. Because the task seems large. But four steps makes it seem doable. Four steps. The first one is to leave the holy huddles. We have to leave this. We have to leave this gathering. I, I, many of you know that I've coached high school football for 20 years now. And what's happened, what happens every day at practice and every game, before they run a play, 22 boys get into a huddle, 11 on each side of the football. They're 11 on offense and 11 on defense. They get into a huddle. And in that huddle, they, get, they, they talk about what they're about to do. The coach is giving them instructions if it's in practice. If it's in a game, they're talking about, okay, remember, you've got to do this and you've got to do that. They talk about any the, anything important. They talk about it in that huddle. But in order to run the play, they, gotta, they have to get out of the huddle. In order to play the game, you have to get out of the huddle. You can't do what you're... The, the huddle wasn't why the game is exciting. The game is exciting because they run the play, actually. Because they run the play. It's the same way. In, in here, it's great. It's great. I mean, we love each other. And it's great to be around people that you love. It's, it's natural to want to spend time with, your, with other followers of Jesus, right? It, it's, it's the most natural thing to do, to want to spend time with people who love the same things you love. It's, more is it, not, not, not only is it natural, but it's also important to spend time with other believers. That's why being a part of the church is crucial to your faith. Because you need encouragement. You need, you need this to know that I'm not alone in these struggles. We need to be together. But we can't reach the world if, it's, if we only stay here. We can't reach people who aren't here if this is the only place we are. We, if we don't take our faith out of this huddle, then we can't reach anyone. That's what Jesus was getting at, getting at when he shared with his disciples in Matthew chapter 5 when he said, You are the light of the world. A, a town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. That, that you living out your faith is a testimony. You just being obedient shows the world what he's doing, what he's like. You are representative of his nature, his character. You make a difference. You're not just a light for the light. You, I mean, like, if, 
If we're all light, we don't need each other in that way. The only place that needs light is the darkness. Our love for God, seen in our obedience, has eternal impact. The way you love God in the world and and able to, to show that in the world, the way you live your life, has an eternal impact. 1 Peter, chapter 2. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires. Live, live a holy life. Even though they wage war against your soul, live such good lives, he said, among the pagans, people who don't love Jesus, that though they may accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. He said, live your lives in such a way that even the people who don't believe would say, Wow, why is that person so generous? Why, why do they continually offer to help me? I, I, they don't even know me. That's a testimony. That, that, that is powerful when people see that in us. You see, but, but the reality is that I don't, it happened early on in the church, right? Early on in the church, when, when the church became under pressure, what did they do? In Jerusalem, they all stayed in Jerusalem. Nobody wanted to leave Jerusalem because it was dangerous out there where those Samaritans were. They didn't want to go out there where those Samaritans were. So let's just stay here in Jerusalem where it's safe. But Jesus didn't call them to just stay where it was safe. Because because a, a safe life isn't necessarily a godly life. Now, I, I stopped praying for my kids to be safe. I, I stopped, I, stopped, I mean, I want my kids to, don't get me wrong, I want my kids to be safe. But I stopped praying that prayer because... What my kids need most of all isn't isn't just safety, it's Jesus. They need to to have a living relationship with him. Not just to be safe and secure and and feel like they're wrapped in a warm blanket all the time. No, they need Jesus. And they need something to live for that's beyond themselves. And sometimes, just like Jesus said, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. It might be a little bit dangerous. It might be a little scary. It might be a little intimidating. Because we all like to be surrounded by people who like us, right? But that's not always going to be the place you need to be. Never confuse a safe life with a godly life. Safety is not our desire, but a godly life is. Significant life is what we're seeking. A significant life for the church. So that's the first thing we have to do, is get out of our holy huddles. Second thing we have to do, Matthew Chapter 4, Jesus said, is we need to care before we speak. He said it this way. Jesus said, when, when he went throughout Galilee, and Jesus was teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God, healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed those having seizures, the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee to Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the regions across the Jordan followed after him. This was Jesus' normal pattern when he entered into a town. He would provide signs and wonders. He would, he would heal those who showed up asking to be healed. He wanted to, he wanted to show them who he was, right? But more than, important, more than just who he was, he wanted to show that he cared. That God actually cared about them. 
Because Jesus knew what, what it took us some time to figure out later is that compassion actually earns you the right to be heard. When you care about people, you actually earn the right to speak into their lives. So it's important to care before we speak. I mean, <laughs> I'm sure that you share this with me, that, that one of the easiest things in life to do, now life is hard, right? I agree? Life is hard. But one of the easiest things to do in life is to point out the problems in other people's lives. Isn't it? Isn't it? My life might be a wreck, but I can spend five minutes with you and I can tell you all kinds of things that are wrong. Am I right? Can we do Isn't that amazing how simple it is? But, but just be, if, and if I were to tell you, you know what you need to do is this and this and this? I've had a lot of conversations with couples with uh, parents who are still dealing with a kid that's just living in rebellion. And, and I've tried this, believe me, I've tried. So, so I hear, they, they tell me the stories, they are heartbreaking stories, right? And without thinking about it, I find myself telling them exactly the things that are so obvious. Well, what you need to do is just stop doing that. What you need to do is just start doing this, and stop doing that, and start that. And you know what happens? They don't do it. They don't do any of it. And they'll come back to me two or three weeks later and say, Pastor, it's, it's getting worse. Well, did you do any of the stuff that I said? Well, no, we never really. Like, so how can I get, how can we get people to do the things that, that's obvious? You know what you can't do? Is tell them what to do. What you can't do is tell people what they have to do. Because what we have to do is actually you have to let me figure it out. So what we, what we seldom hear, when, when, when you have a problem and you, tell, you come to a friend and you're like, oh my goodness, I can't believe, like, like, what I'm going through is this, this, and this. What most people say is that, well, you know what you ought to do? You ought to just tell them this or that. That's what, that's what we usually do. What seldom is somebody say, man, that's terrible. What are you going to do about that? Well, nobody does that. Nobody just asks for, for what are you going to do? Because... It's so important to do that because if you say what you need to do, then you own it. Right? That's the key. But it takes compassion to sit with somebody who says, my life is falling apart, I don't know what to do. And that's terrible. That's hard. That's hard to actually say that because we all want to say, well, what you ought to do is this and this. But they're not going to do it. What we need to do is just love them. Love them. Show compassion before you start telling them what they ought to do. Just be with them in the moment, in the brokenness, in the hurt, in the pain. Just, just let them sit in your presence with them. And then, let, help them to figure out what they need to do to actually solve the problems that we're in. And I believe that if you've lived your life in such a way to, that they see Jesus alive in you, that they're going to eventually ask, so tell me, how did you get through it? And there you go. There's your chance. But they've got to ask you for it. Compassion earns us the right to be heard. It makes, actually makes people curious. It makes people curious. Compassion is a powerful thing in relationships. A powerful thing in relationships. It, because it, it becomes the, 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 
the network, I guess, is the, I don't know what other word to use right now. The, the other, the mechanism that the gospel is shared. Like, like you've probably heard the phrase that uh, it's important to share the gospel and sometimes use words or something like that, right? You've probably heard that. It was attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. Uh, I don't believe it for a second that he actually said that. I think it's attributed to him and make it sound good because he was a preacher and that man loved to tell people the good news of Jesus. And so, yes, it is important, let me agree with the statement, that it is sometimes, that, that it is important to show the gospel. But it's also crucially important for us sometimes to tell the gospel, to use the words of what Jesus came, lived, died, he rose again so that we can have forgiveness and find res restoration of our relationship with God. That's crucial to say it. But it is, and it is also important that our actions show it. That we need to say it, but we also need to show it. And maybe we need to show it first. First we leave the huddle. Then we show people that we get out in front of people who, act, who live outside of this. And then when we're in their presence, we show them that we care. Whatever caring means to them. We show it to them. We show them that we care before we start telling them how to live their lives. And then the third thing Jesus went over in this passage is when the door opens, go in. When the door closes, leave. He said when, when the, the, the house of peace opens the door to you, then go on in and bless them. Stay there. Eat their food. Drink their wine. Heal the sick. Do all the things that the Spirit does. Like, do it. But if they close the door on you, then walk away. Walk away. Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 3, he said, in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, he said. Or he wrote. Keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their splendor. In other words, live your life consistently with the words that you ever are to speak. But, but be prepared for the hope that you have. Are you prepared to tell somebody the hope that you have in Christ? C could you explain why you believe what you believe? Can you, could you be able to tell somebody what, what he's done in your life? Could you do that? Are you ready to share that? I'd love for you to, some of you to stand up here on Sunday morning and share what God has done in your life, why you have the hope that you have. I think this is the safest place for us to practice that, sharing our testimony in church. If you'd like to do that, please let me know, because this is the place to do it. People who aren't going to look sideways at you, we're going to encourage you here. Share your testimony. Always be ready to explain the hope you have. Because we don't know what the Spirit is going to be doing in people's lives, so we always have to be ready. To share when somebody asks. To walk in the door. When people ask questions of you, when they ask the question, answer them directly. Answer people directly when they ask. What is salvation all about? Answer it directly. Don't, don't be coy. Answer it succinctly, clearly. This is what it is. Jesus died for my sins so I can live with him for eternity. I will be forgiven and find my relationship with God restored. What's going on with your church? I hear blah, 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 blah. Well, actually, in my church, we want everybody to come to Christ. But we also realize that none of us are perfect. But when we're together, 
We believe that absolutely anything can happen. That's simple. When people ask questions, be ready to answer. But when people make declarations, when they, when they declare things, ask questions. Do the opposite of what they're doing. Do the opposite of what they're doing. When they make declarations like, I am really struggling with this or that, I imagine that's hard. What are you going to do? Or, man, the greatest thing just happened to me. I cannot believe this happened. Blah, 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 blah. Wow, what are you going to do with the extra? What are you going to do with all that? How how are you going to handle that? Ask questions. Do the opposite of what they do. Because oftentimes people aren't interested. Just like what Jesus told the disciples. When people aren't interested, you've got to be prepared for that too. So not only am I ready to answer whatever people say, but I'm also ready when people close the door. Matthew and Mark chapter 6, verse 11. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, this is what he told the twelve when he sent them out. Leave that place, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. Just leave. Just leave. When people aren't interested, walk away. Walk away. If they're not interested in the gospel, then stop. How many of you like to be liked? You all do. Come on. We all like to be liked, right? Rejection is hard because we like to be liked. We don't want to be rejected, but it's going to happen. But the thing is to remember that when you're, when you're doing this, when you're tra- looking to connect with people because this, God is leading you that way, he's told us to love our neighbor as ourselves, right? When I'm trying to love my neighbor, my neighbor rejects me. He's not really rejecting me. He's actually rejecting Christ, which is going to make me actually love him more than more. Rejection is hard. What I've found in my life is that you might be quick-witted. You might be a great debater. You might have all the understanding of, of how God can work in a person's life and how God can make a difference in someone's life. And, and you, may have, you may have all that down, stone cold. But what I know for sure is that you, you can want it for them, but you cannot argue them or shame them into a relationship with Jesus. You can't. You can't argue or shame people into following them. They just don't. If the Holy Spirit hadn't opened the door to their hearts, then, then stop banging on it. Like you can knock. But, but if they don't open it, then okay, let somebody else come around and knock. Because it's not about me. It's not about you. It's about them and Jesus. Because what, what I have seen, and what I have had many kids tell me, is that we, I'm talking about my, my son's daughter's kids and friends, my generation of parents, and maybe older, we were so adamant about what our kids need to believe that we actually hardened their hearts against the gospel. We actually hardened their hearts against the gospel. And that is burden to bear. Don't harden someone's heart against the gospel by continually, by continually, by continually telling them what they ought to do. Don't. Don't. We can all see the problems, right? Everybody can see the problems they have in their life. But they can't. But they don't see them that way. 
They don't see them as spiritual problems. So don't try to put that upon somebody. Let, let them, just love them. Let them draw near to Christ as they draw near to you. Don't let their hearts be hardened. That's the last thing. We represent Christ. We do what he calls us to do, but we leave the outcomes to him. Leave the outcomes to God. What is our job? Our job is to love our neighbors ourselves. Our job is to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's our job. When it comes to leading my neighbor to a relationship with Christ, what is my responsibility? It's to move them closer to Christ, right? That, that's my call. That's what I'm seeking to do. Sherry, school teacher. Terry, school teacher. There's some other, probably some other school teachers here in the room. Probably, some of you probably had that number line up above the chalkboard up in the front of the room. Oh, do they still do that, Sherry? On their desk, they have a number. Okay, so, so everybody knows kind of what the number line was like. It started over here with negative uh, three or negative five hundred or whatever. Been on the board. I was a math teacher, so we, we started with negative pi or something stupid. So it was. So you start with with negative numbers and zero in the middle, and then your positive numbers, right? Like a number line. Everybody knows what a number line is, right? It's kind of self-explanatory. So so if you come across someone who's who's actually like a negative ten. What do we want for them? We want them to be like, if not a 10, it may, a 5? We want them to be a 5, don't we? Like, that, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to get them to be a 5. How often are we successful at that? Getting somebody to go from a negative 10 to a 5. It happens every now and then. And we love to hear those stories. That, man, I was, I was high and Jesus showed up and, and you know, or whatever. You know, you know the stories that people have shared that just dramatic transformations. It may have happened to some of you. That you have a powerful testimony of what God has done. How God showed up when everything else said no. But God showed up. That's, those are the outliers. Normally what happens is you got a guy over here or a woman over here who's a negative 10. Right? Just a negative 10. And Terry comes by to encourage her. And she says, huh. Maybe a negative 9. Right? So you just move a little bit. Just move a little bit. And then Artie comes by and he says something to encourage him. And, and just to listen to him a little bit, you know. And they move from a 9 to like a negative 6. They're still negatives. They're still way away from God. But they're moving. They're moving a little bit. They're moving. And then Kurt's going to come by, and he's going to, like, wow them, right? With, with, he's just going to, like, whatever. And they're going to be, oh, you married Angie? And, and, <laughs> and they're going to move to a two. Like, they're going to take a huge leap. They're going to go from, like, a negative number to a positive. Like, like overnight it's going to seem like, when in reality it wasn't overnight. It was a series of little moves that people were making in their lives that we were that we were teaming up, right? That everybody was sharing a little bit here and a little bit there, and they were actually moving all along. We don't notice it until phew, they're over here on this side. And then we're like, wow. All our, our responsibility is just to move people closer to Jesus. It didn't save anybody. That's, that's God's work. Our responsibility is to, is to break down some barriers between them and God. To, to clear out some rubble so they can, they can get closer to him. Just to move them a little bit. Trust God to do whatever God's going to do. But as we go into our community this summer, we're going to be outside, we're going to go for a walk, and 
You're going to be doing stuff out with your neighbors and your charge as part of the church is to move people closer to Christ. That's our, that's our responsibility together, but it's each of our responsibilities together to move people closer to Christ. You don't have to save them. You don't have to save anybody. Just help them. Listen to them. Get out of the holy huddle. Show compassion. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for who you are, for what you do, for how you move. Lord, I ask you that right now that uh, you would be inspiring some of us in this room. God, that it is possible to follow you. It is possible to follow some simple steps to lead others closer to Christ. Lord, we ask that you would use us as we gather here as your disciples, Lord. We ask you, God, that you'd use this holy meal to, to fill us, to equip us, to be your hands and feet in the world. For some in this room, Lord, that they may not have ever surrendered their lives to you. And they may be wondering, like, what's the point of the church? What, what am I signing up for when I, when, I, when I agree to be a part, a disciple of Jesus? God, I pray that you uh, inspire them to see the huge impact that our lives can have for eternity by sharing you with those we know and love. God, use this meal to draw us close to you. We love you. Amen. We're going to use the, uh, the liturgy for Pentecost season today. <clears throat> Just a, a word to you. Uh, you don't have to be a member of this church or any church to receive communion today. It's, it's the Lord's table, his offering to you, his invitation to you to, to enter into fellowship with him. It's a table of communion. You're communing with God in this. Uh, what, what we do ask is that if you've never been baptized, if, you've never been a, a, if you're not a baptized member of the body of Christ, right? Let's do that. Let's do that. Not today, but let's talk about how you might take that step of experiencing or participating in the other sacrament that God has for his church. Uh, so please contact me afterwards. I'll also say that today in our worship uh, represented here today are, are a few folks uh, who will be sharing community, communion with us as people are taking communion to their homes. Those are the holidays. Uh, their last name is the holidays. Uh, the Reedies, the Kendalls, Leary, the Learys, uh, the Kecklers, Porters, and Miss Edna Cox. So uh, they are represented here as well. So 